0: Because I do marvel at the, at the people in the alumni magazine. And, and I then look at, like, what am I doing with myself? Like, how come I'm not at that level? And, it, you know, and it's so easy to just discount what you've done.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Lives That Speak, a podcast highlighting the exceptional work of Sidwell Friends School alumni. I'm Helen Hum-Diamond the Chief Communications Officer for Sidwell Friends, a pre-K through 12th grade independent Quaker school located in Washington, D.C. In this interview, we sat down with Natalie Randolph, a graduate from the class of 1998. This last summer, Natalie returned back to Sidwell Friends to become the Director of Equity, Justice, and Community. We discussed her new role, how sports played an integral part in her career, and how she grapples with aspects of identity. Natalie Randolph, Class of 1998, welcome to our podcast, welcome to Lives That Speak. Natalie, this weekend, uh, you're fresh off of the Black Student Union production, the 31st year, congratulations.
0: Thank you.
1: How does it feel to be back? How does it feel to be the executive producer of the show?
0: Um, It felt good, and it feels different because, you know, my experience had been as a student, Mm -hmm. and... The stakes are a lot higher as as an administrator, as an adult supporter, because this is the student experience, just like it was my experience when I was here, and the pressure to make sure that that's a good experience for them and to not um, make it, you know, a, a bad experience for them.
1: What did, your alum- what did your classmates think when they heard that you were involved in the show?
0: Um, they all kind of had the same question. What's it like to be you know, on the adult side of things um, right. now that you've been in it. And I kind of had the same answer. Like, it's it's different, you know. It's stressful, um, and there's the pressure to make it good for the kids and make it something that they can be proud of. Do you remember
1: the theme of your show when you were a student? No.
0: I, it's such a blur. I remember Motown. We all had to suffer through Motown. Uh, <laughs> uh, Motown medleys and... Mm-hmm. and um, you know, all of those songs bring back memories, I think, yeah. for all of us in yeah. doing that on stage. So it was nice to see our current students have to go through that, too. Um, so bringing back
1: Dr. Payton, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Ricky Payton, back into the show, what was it like working with him as an adult?
0: It was great. Um, you learn a lot, and um, and also you learn all of the difficult— processes that go into show business you know and he's a pro at it and sometimes it can feel chaotic and it can feel you know that stuff is everywhere um and managing all of that and trying to um also manage everyone's expectations of Mm -hmm. of what it was i think um putting on a production is difficult no matter Mm -hmm. what kind of production it is um But what Mr. Payton brought is the musicality of it. And when we were here with him, we did the singing and the dancing constantly as part of our curriculum. Um, Whereas with the kids that are here now, they weren't necessarily used to that level of performance. um, or Not level. Level is the wrong word. Mm -hmm. They were not used to that type of performance and and the type of... um, Production that it was, the musical nature mm-hmm. of it. So they were out of their comfort zone. Right. And um, so it was nice to see them grow in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to see their first reaction to Mr. Peyton when he came to the first rehearsal. It was a very good reaction. Music kind of pours out of him. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see some of them were kind of in awe yeah uh, at, at when he starts playing and
1: um, what do you feel like the the students like from the beginning of the process to the end of the process do you do you, what do you think that experience was like for those students?
0: I think it was probably difficult for them. Um, they were really out of their comfort zone there was a mm-hmm. lot of choreography there was a lot of vocal and they mm-hmm. were not used to it um, but seeing how proud they were of themselves at the end yeah. once they performed it and got the standing ovation, yeah. Um, that was really nice to see. Yeah.
1: Very nice to see. You. And at the end of Friday's performance, you did something very special, very, very special. You gave uh, dedication mm-hmm. um, to Bob Williams, who was the former middle school principal. Mm-hmm. And you invited his wife, Lynn, and the family up to stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say a few words, and, and then Ricky, Dr. Payton. Um, played a special number mm-hmm. that he had composed himself. What was
0: that like? Oh, that was great. Um, you know, Mr. Williams was my principal, but he was also one of my best friend's dad. Um, so he... So you can never get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I I, I was not um, looking to get in trouble. I, didn't, I was not <laughs> the kid that wanted to get in trouble. Um, but... You know, so he, he held a special place in my heart beyond um, what he, what and who he was at Sidwell mm-hmm. Friends. Um, I consider his daughter, Maisha one of my best friends, and, mm-hmm. and I consider their family like family. Um, so it was really important to me personally to make sure that we did that, and it was important to me to make sure that Sidwell, the Sidwell community now understood his impact Um because he is the real reason why this show is so right. big and what it is.
1: Right, right. Do you, beyond the, there's the impact of the show. Did it, what else? What
0: other sort of impact did he have in your mm-hmm. life? In your life? Um, he he was the he was the view of what leadership could look like. I mean, there weren't many other leaders that we could look to and see ourselves and 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 really get that implicit understanding that. You get to do this too. This is a possibility for you too. Like leadership is a place where you can go. And that's who he was for a lot of us. Um, he was also a very um, calm and assertive view of of leadership. I think he was a healthy view of what leadership looked like. He was always calm. You know, I don't ever remember. Seeing him lose his temper um, as a leader, you know, or as her dad. Like, Mm -hmm. he was that calm, steadfast, cool, calm, and collected presence. And I think that's important for all kids to have. And it's also important for kids of color to see.
1: um, Right. You do realize that now you're kind of in that role, and that it's quite possible there's a kid out there. Who's saying the same thing about you? Oh man!
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's, in a good way. <laughs> I, yeah, that's. I mean, that's pressure, you know. Um, yeah. But that. I mean, that's that's kind of what brought me back. Like yeah. being able to be um, a positive influence for a kid that may have been like me.
1: So, in your role as the director of Equity, Justice, and Community mm-hmm. (EJC). Um, You meet with a lot of kids across divisions. You meet with a lot of teachers across divisions. Do you see, when you meet different kids, do you see the need for this? I'm
0: not. um, I think it's always there. I think that, um, I think they all need different role models. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. they they all need different views of what leadership can look like. Mm-hmm. Um so that it deepens the understanding that anybody can be a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I I hope to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. Um in a, at a
1: recent Quaker Day, mm-hmm. you were brought on as the keynote speaker because it was EJC Day. Mhm. And you are our director of EJC. <laughs> uh, and you had mentioned something that we found really interesting because you had talked about how sometimes in the past, when you'd looked at the Alumni Magazine, you were feeling like you didn't, that, that it was necessarily how do you belong with these people who are doing things that are being highlighted like that?
0: Yeah, man. <laughs> I do my
1: life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine that a lot of people can, can understand mm-hmm. uh, what that might feel like, you know, because you see people who are featured, and regardless of whether or not what they're doing is uh, of, of the different nature of, of what the, the folks are doing, people will have a different responses to it. Mm-hmm. So, tell me a little bit about that. Like, tell me a little bit about why you br- why you thought it was important to bring that
0: up at at Quaker Day. Um. I thought it was important because I think being critical of yourself is normal, mm-hmm. and I think at Sidwell, um, it's a place where it's really easy to be critical of yourself. And I wanted to to make sure I made the point, you know, I am aware, given my history and my career, mm-hmm. that there are people that may look up to me, mm-hmm. um, my life is on the internet, mm-hmm. and. Um, people have called me uh, what is it? Glass ceiling breaker, trailblazer. You know all these things that that sound good, but at the end of the day, like I'm critical of myself too, and I can I get intimidated too. And I wanted I want them to know that that's normal and okay, mm-hmm. um, because I do marvel at the at the people. In the alumni magazine, and and I then look at like, what am I doing with myself? Like, <laughs> how come I'm not <laughs> at that level? And it, you know, and it's so easy to just discount what you've done, um, but that doesn't have to be the only story of a person. Um, and I wanted the kids to to recognize that because I do see when I've spoken in other places and and met other people through this journey that's been that's been a, a benefit of, of right. having this history is that I've, I've met a lot of people because of it. Um, and they all have this view that I think I have when I look at the alumni magazine right. they have this same yeah. view of me like oh wow you've done all this and I'm, like, I'm just a regular person <laughs> <laughs> like i think you're great you yeah, know yeah. um it's like the curated self Yes, almost. from right. you know people on instagram you see these perfect lives and um but we're all just people at the end of the day um and there's one one person that i met who was my idol as a young person. I should have said this on Quaker Day. Um, Gail Devers was an Olympian track right. field runner. And right. she overcame like a lot. She had grave disease and she was Olympian. Um, and I met her at this awards thing. And she was like, oh my God, hi, you know, you're such an inspiration for me. And I was like, hold the phone. What are you talking about? <laughs> What, do you <laughs> recall what awards thing this was? It was... Uh,
1: this was back when you were a coach? Yeah, it was yeah. an
0: Urban League, the National Urban League um, National Conference or whatever, like Women of Power Award or something. Mm-hmm. And she came up to me and was like, wow. you're such an inspiration. I was like... You're a woman of power. <laughs> I was like, I need you to stop. I was like, I know who you are. Um, and no, you were my childhood yeah. idol. Like, this is ridiculous. You No, no, you are my idol. And it was just like a cool moment. And I got a picture with
1: her. And That's a turn of identity right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when you were talking and you were addressing the entire upper school, all five hundred plus mm-hmm. young people, um, you were addressing the upper school that where you you used to sit, mm-hmm. right? And you started talking about identity, and you started mm-hmm. talking about your identity, and how your identity plays out in your own mind, how it plays out, how it played out in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what do, you, what do you hope to teach the kids about identity and how to understand their own identities?
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted them to know that it's not, like, a fixed thing all the time mm-hmm. that a person has figured out for themselves. Like, I am this, right? And, and I, I spoke to them about, like, when, during the time when I was coaching and teaching, um, there were, like, three different identities that I had to manage about myself I had the media identity who the media wanted me to be they wanted me to be a certain thing right. they they were really obsessed with me being the female coach right. everywhere I go now oh you're the female coach and I'm like yes I was a coach and I yeah. happened to be female yeah. um, but that was the identity that they chose to latch on to the fact that I actually looked like the stereotypical female I was not um, you know the stereotypical female that was interested in sports,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in their mind, which is a more male-presenting, more male-tendency woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, and I actually had media representatives tell me that. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know the reason why they're so interested in you is because you actually look like a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to come to terms
1: with that. Right. That your artifice was the idea, that how you presented yourself was the identity that people were responding to. Exactly.
0: Right. And, and then they really wanted me to reinforce that for them, no matter how much I told them <laughs> <laughs> that uh, this is sort of secondary. Right. Or, you know, like I, I shared the story about uh, NFL films coming and wanting to do B-roll shots of a play sheet with makeup on it to express the idea that I was somehow taking, you know, my woman cape off and stepping into the football field and transforming into a football coach from a woman Um, to where they went and hunted for makeup that wasn't mine for this shot and asked me to do things to show this quote-unquote transformation.
1: You mean you didn't? Wipe I, the lipstick off no, your face, you, know, so you went out in the field?
0: I, no, I didn't wear makeup right. to school. I didn't change. I wore pants every day so I wouldn't have to change clothes. Um, you didn't wear high heels every day? I didn't wear high heels on the field or during the day. Um, And so that was the identity that they wanted, what? and I had to manage that. Did you tell your players about that? Oh, yeah, they knew. They saw it. They were and sitting right there. I mean, they, they got of... asked all the time, what is it like having a woman? What is it, yeah. you know— um does she do this or does she do that and they were like look at them like no why are you asking me that um and so but i understood that in a in a way i had to give them some of what they wanted otherwise they were going to write their own story right so i had to respond to all the media requests right. on my own um because if I didn't, they would make their own thing up, mm-hmm. you know. I was very aware of that. So there was that identity. And then there was the day-to-day, the actual what happened mm-hmm. on day-to-day. Right. I had to be there for kids. I had to teach, you know, six classes a day. Mm-hmm. I had three different courses I was teaching. Then I had to prepare for a football right. practice. I had to manage this football team. I had to manage the coaches. Mm-hmm. We had games. We had off-season. I had College prep, their study hall, making sure that they did what they needed to do to apply to schools, manage the college coaching, the recruiting process. So there was a lot to do. There was that identity. Mm-hmm. And then there was, you know, everything else like me, Natalie, having some semblance of a, a life outside of mm-hmm. these other two things, which there wasn't much room for.
1: Right, right. Do you miss those days of being a coach, <sighs> being a teacher? Of having I miss, to navigate,
0: I miss parts of it. I don't miss the entire experience. No, yeah, yeah. the entire experience was exhausting. Um, but I do miss the children.
1: And what do you think they learned from watching
0: you navigate these identities? Um, I think they learned that they had to do that too. Right. Um, you know, I still am in contact with quite a few of them and mm-hmm. counsel them still. And
1: have uh, some of them graduated college already?
0: Oh yeah, they're all they're yeah. all that means I'm old um <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're, the,
1: they're all young young they're young all yeah fellows, right
0: mhm they they are young men now most of the ones that i taught yeah I've been out of it for mm-hmm. more than 4 years so they're all to the age where they're in life now mm-hmm. um and, yeah, they, they still talk to me about managing their different identities, especially the ones that went to schools that were primarily white schools. We were in a primarily African-American right. situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding that they had to do some code switching, that they're going to have to manage their identity, and their people are going to expect certain things out of them that weren't necessarily the case, and they're mm-hmm. going to have to manage that. Um, in order to get what they needed out of right. the experience. Okay.
1: And then you went to work for DC, the
0: DC SAA, mm-hmm. um, uh, as the Title IX coordinator. Mm-hmm. What's that like? That was cool. Um, that was a break. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the structure of it was a nine to five. Um, so it was nice to have the time and space to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, It was, it was great because I felt like I could, um, I had never, until coaching and coming away from coaching, I had never stopped to reflect on how big of a role athletics played in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, going to Sidwell, athletics was not the focus um, at all. but it's always been a presence in my life, and it's really helped shape who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, without athletics, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have the strength, you know, mm-hmm. to go through some of these things. So it was really important to me to be able to make sure that girls get that.
1: Right. What that. what what sort of lessons in athletics, what sort of leadership lessons do you think you've picked oh,
0: up? Um, just resilience, teamwork, mm-hmm. um, goal-oriented action, you know, like, Understanding that without some sort of struggle, there's not any progress. You know, like Frederick Douglass, without, without struggle, there is no progress. I mean, that's like a mantra um, in my head that I would preach to the kids too. And understanding um, physically, understanding your body body I think that's really important for women especially for girls women and girls I'm a huge proponent of women and girls in contact sports um you you played football I I, I played football and and understanding how to use your body Mm -hmm. um is very important for self-efficacy for self-defense if if it ever came to that uh, for self-love, self-care, like you, you've got to understand how to use your body and you need to understand the limits of your body and and how far your body can go. If you never test it, you'll never know and you'll never mm-hmm. be confident enough to, to mm-hmm. really try it when you need to.
1: Right. Do you find yourself saying that to, to any of the students here?
0: Yeah, I've actually, I've said it to parents. Yeah. Um, And contemplating things, um, you know, I, we have students that are playing football that are girls, and, and, like, I tell them, like, you're living my dream, man, you know. <laughs> um, I, I love the fact that we've got several girls in the wrestling program. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I, I think that is not to be confused with the common sense delineation mm-hmm. between some girls' sports and boys' sports. Right. And, like, I would never as an adult, want to play football against men. Let's just put that right. out there. I've done that, right. it's not fun. Right, um, <laughs> that, And That's, <laughs> that's not fun. <laughs> oh, oh, I, he, I hear talk, talked
1: about yeah. uh, quite a bit is when you have girls competing in, with with boys mm-hmm. and then developmentally as the boys, their right. bodies change and girls' bodies change right. and then there, there comes a point where is it dangerous mm-hmm to have that happen um what are, what are your thoughts in terms of the having girls and boys on the football team um,
0: I think as long as again um the prop, the proper precautions like you know girls used to ask me when I was coaching can I play football and mm-hmm. they were seniors just like I was a senior when I wanted to play football and then the, my father was like you've never played football before, you want to run track, you might get hurt. It's mm-hmm. not because you were a girl, but you've not been conditioned to do this work mm-hmm. in at this level. And so I don't advocate for girls to just come in willy-nilly and just start mm-hmm. football, especially depending how big or small, right. you know, mm-hmm. that's not safe, right. right? But some of the kids that are that are currently they they've been playing, you know. They know right. they understand the game. They understand they've held their own. Will there come a time when, you know, everybody else gets gets larger? Sure. And until that time comes, you know, how right. that we we don't we happen to not be in a league that's you know we are, we are not in Texas, right? You know, right. football is not. There are some places where high school football is like D two football. That's not here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. every situation is different. It should be assessed on its own, yeah. as as individual situations.
1: So when uh, when it came time for uh, Let Your Life Speak Day, mm-hmm. right, the school comes to you and asks you to come back and speak. Mm-hmm.
0: What were your thoughts? Oh, it's cool. I mean, <laughs> it was it was nice to come back. Um, it's always weird. Like that was before I even thought about working at Tidwell. Well, yeah. um, So. It was nice to be able to do it here. Um, I had done previous career days. Like, I, you know, since coaching, I've been asked to come and talk to kids a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was extra special to come back here.
1: Yeah, and then you win the Distinguished Alumni Award, or one of the awards. Mm -hmm. What was that like?
0: That was cool. I didn't like, you know, being the the self-critic, it's it's like, oh, I didn't do enough to get this award, but <laughs> <laughs> it was very um it was very flattering and humbling and yeah. and to see the other awardees and to know that I was in that pool, like that mm-hmm. was really cool. Um so I was I was uh I was very grateful for that award. Good? Good. Well, I'm glad that
1: so you saw the video of yourself, and I you did, saw. <laughs> I did. Did you feel like that was enough to get you in the alumni magazine yet? Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they. I had been in the alumni magazine a long time ago.
1: Right, and did you feel when you saw yourself in the magazine? What did you think? Certainly, like, you wow. didn't think I don't belong here.
0: No, I. There was I. Th- I had an ambivalence um, while I was coaching. That was while I was coaching um, about all of the attention. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, the only reason I'm getting all this attention is because I'm I'm not a man. Um, And so while I was coaching, I always put it in that bucket. Mm -hmm. And that helped me cope with it and not focus on it. Um, so anytime I got an award, or I got oh, okay, this is another you know woman award. This okay. here's a woman award. Here's a woman award, and that helped me stay focused to where I was. It's different now that I look back, and I'm like, oh wow, that was like really cool yeah. what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now that I have the time to look back and really um, reflect on what that meant, it feels different. So then I was very flippant, I admit. <laughs>
1: Uh, So, and now that you're the director of EJC, Mm -hmm. uh, we have the Center for Ethical Leadership in the future. Uh, We have a vision for what it may or may not be. So it it would be great to hear you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. why, why have the Center for Ethical Leadership?
0: Oh, I think it's very exciting. I'm excited about the Center for Ethical Leadership. Um, One, because You know, going back to the idea of the type of folks that are in the alumni magazine and the the caliber of alum, the caliber of person that Sidwell puts out into the world, um, there's some amazing people. Mm -hmm. And also through my experiences in D.C., through teaching and coaching and nonprofit work and government work, um, there's a lot of need in this area. Mm -hmm. And... My anecdotal experience with Sidwell and, and those of us that come out is that a lot of times we go elsewhere mm-hmm. to 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 serve, and I want the Center for Ethical Leadership to really bring some of that talent back to DC and use the talent that we have here for the needs in the uh, the DC Maryland Virginia area. So I want the Center for Ethical Leadership to make Sidwell Friends a better steward of our our local community, and teach kids the, the important things about leadership and ethics and, and service within our local community. And so that way they have a rooted education in it. So when they go off into the world and become amazing and alumni magazine worthy, Hopefully, they'll bring some of that amazingness back to this area, and 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 help make a difference in this area that we're in.
1: Right, right. Who were the biggest people who made the biggest difference to you at Sidwell Friends?
0: One of the biggest influences on that Sidwell has had is the, just the relationships that you come out of here with, right. the lifelong relationships. Do you have stronger college friendships or no Sidwell friendships? Sidwell friendships, mm-hmm. and that that is something that is. I think unique um, in that I thought it was normal to have close high school friends. But then in college, you know, people kind of gravitated toward each other and like kept those relationships. But like now, I do have a few college relationships. The majority of my long lasting friendships are from here. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is a huge, huge, huge benefit to Sidwell. Um, The other thing, I think all of the adults here pushed you to question. Mm-hmm. And the concept, I used to say it a lot, the, the concept of positive discourse I learned here. Mm-hmm. That was a big influence on me. And being able to debate and state a case and you know, go about the business of trying to change someone's mind. Um, in a respectful way and I think I learned that here through the style that our, our classroom style, our learning style of discussion and discourse that was really important.
1: Who were some of your favorite teachers?
0: Um, Maurice Hall, who's no longer here. Um, he's an English teacher.
1: Mama Duguay never stops to say. Yes, Mama <laughs> Duguay taught
0: me French. He was wonderful. Um, of course, some yeah. of them are still here. Like Coach Gold was a big yeah. influence on all of us, um, and he was a he was an athletic coach at upper school and middle school. So he, um, I I think a lot of people would probably mm. name him in in the athletic realm and just the the grit realm, like learning how to mm-hmm. that comp- that competition. Yeah. Um, who else? I mean, all of my, Miss Milroy, who is still here, mm-hmm. she was my, my teacher. Mr. Entwistle was, was my teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, Ms. Fields was my teacher. So it's nice to come back and, and mm-hmm. see those folks, even though some of them are retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, we had a lot of good teachers. There's too many. Oh, Dave Wood, who I just saw. Like, he was my science teacher, Dave and Dan. Um, yeah. Like, when you talk about what students teach you, What do Um, students teach you? Students, oh my God, they always teach me. Um, Students teach me to remain open. Like they always come with a perspective that it's like, what? And like, where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) But it's good because like it keeps you current and it keeps you questioning. It keeps you humble. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know everything or they'll come with a question that, My favorite in teaching was like, kids would come with questions you just could not answer. And I would just be like, I don't know. (laughs) What do you mean you don't know? Like, There's no way for me to know everything. Go figure it out. And so I think from students, I've definitely learned how to say I don't know.
1: Well, Natalie Randolph, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. As it is to
0: speak with you too.
1: Thank you.